for episode three of Talking Additive. Right. So, so I've not seen any 3D printing company doing NPS, of course. We continue our core quest to explore how companies today adopt 3D printing, the impact of additive on business, both now and in the future. Yeah, we can kind of ease into this. Yeah. Yeah. By following a slightly different approach. This is not investigative. No, I'm, I'm totally fine. I, I, I know what I'm yeah. saying. We're going to flip the camera to focus our attention internally and speak with a few of the thinkers within Ultimaker. Identifying the, you know, the possibility. For me? Yeah. It happens. Um... Who help us as a company navigate the evidence we receive back from our massive, passionate, innovative global customer base. I'm going to run through a couple of these questions. Um, our third episode is an interview with three key members of the Ultimaker team who will share knowledge and insights into the evolving role of FFF 3D printing in both manufacturing and design. Can we start now? Yeah. yeah okay. but- our key guest speakers are Paul Hyden, the Senior Vice President of Product Management. At the same time, it gives an immediate saving. It, it, it gives an ROI of perhaps a day on a printer. Ryan Nieleman, our Portfolio Development Manager. So this mission already came from starting a process realizing who we are. And Rohit Jam, Director of Global Research and Analytics. And it's very close to my heart. So these things motivate me to do more for the 3D printing industry. These are our guides for today's episode, helping us to grapple with shifts in the trajectory of AM's future, helping us see new roles and opportunities for our tech right on the horizon. Our key focus for today digital distribution, and local manufacturing. Join us in our fantastic journey inside the Ultimaker organization. We explore these topics and more on Talking Additive. I'm Matt Griffin, and this is Talking Additive, a 3D printing podcast made possible by Ultimaker. On Talking Additive, we sit down with business innovators and allies to discuss the impact of adopting additive manufacturing. How does adopting additive manufacturing benefit a business today? And what will be possible in the future? Welcome to our third episode for the Talking Additive podcast. Talking Additive launches on April 28th, 2020 with three initial Dynamite episodes. We will launch new episodes on Tuesdays every two weeks. Since 2011, Ultimaker has built an open and easy-to-use solution of 3D printers, software, and materials that enable professional designers and engineers to innovate every day. Its global team of over 400 employees work together to accelerate the world's transition to digital distribution and local manufacturing. Our guests this week are three colleagues, key members of Ultimaker's team, Paul Hyden, the Senior Vice President of Product Management, Marine Nieleman, our Portfolio Development Manager, and Rohit Jam, Director of Global Research and Analytics. They each offer a unique perspective into additive manufacturing and how it benefits businesses around the world. They discuss digital distribution and local manufacturing, the future of the supply chain, and how production processes are evolving for companies who have adopted 3D printing in their product development and fulfillment pipelines. I sat down with each of my guests individually at our headquarters offices in Utrecht in the Netherlands. I share for you today a group portrait, moving between highlights of three lengthy, passionate conversations about Ultimaker's past, present, and future. First up, from Paul, we find our context for the start of our conversation, the emergence of Ultimaker as a major player in the professional market. My name is uh, Paul Heiden. I'm responsible for the product at uh, Ultimaker. 
As head of product, Paul plays a critical role in locking the product requirements and guiding the effort to meet them. As a result, he has always been front lines to observing the evolving role of Ultimaker in the marketplace. I've started at the end of 2015. Then we were bringing the Ultimaker 3 to the market. Ultimaker did that in an incredibly good fashion. That really made the, the change. We started to address the professional market. And if you see today, only after three years, that we are dominant in the professional market, I do not know of many uh, companies that have been able to make such a change and, and are so well executed. But what I was constantly thinking while working on the Ultimaker 3 and while discovering the value of Cura being a very accessible tool, being a software tool that virtually any student will learn 3D printing on. So there's, it's not just an accessible machine. We also managed somehow, and I consider that the greatest success of Ultimaker, to create simple knowledge both in Cura and in the heads of students, in the head of early adopters, uh, that they can start using Ultimaker without a lot of hassle in terms of service contracts, material contracts, difficult machines, and so on. It's... Um, that, that's virtually irrelevant. I think that's exactly what the success of Ultimaker was all about in making this change from uh, the, the maker world uh, to address the, the professional market. We, we really lowered the threshold to adopt 3D printing. Also on the product management team is Marine, our next guest for the discussion today. Hi, my name is Marijn Nederman. I'm the director of portfolio management. And that means my team is responsible for getting good insights on the table on what are the needs and barriers of our customers in 3D printing in the, the industrial and other areas that we are active in today. Marijn and I sat and talked about distributed manufacturing and specifically the route towards the authoring of Ultimaker's mission statement that the company is accelerating the world's transition to local manufacturing and digital distribution, an idea that arrived quite early in the company's history. So this mission already came from starting a process realizing who we are and we talked to a lot of people so it started internally uh, what drives us what brings us out of bed and one of the things that brought together multiple people so people with a more technical ambition and like to solve complex puzzles people with uh, who want to have impact on society but also people who strive for business what they all shared is the transition which is happening in local production distributed distributed manufacturing a relatively new approach to manufacturing where instead of the traditional industrial age requirement of a large centralized factory churning out hundreds of thousands of parts millions of parts that then must be shipped out via the supply chain instead you have fabrication sites that are themselves closer to where these items are needed and coordinate the production for these local markets at Ultimaker, we highlight two of the key components, local manufacturing and digital distribution. But other elements include systemic changes to the supply chain, empowering production sites with readiness and ability to problem solve, and a 21st century update to concepts such as lean manufacturing to accommodate new digitally driven tools and processes. As Ryan pointed out in our discussion, this concept was very appealing across the various perspectives within Ultimaker. That's something which was already in our DNA from the start. So making a lot happen with a much less investment. The glue between all these different needs and beliefs 
if you look at it from a perspective of our society and the world, uh, it has a promise of less transport of built goods all over the globe. If you look at it from a technical perspective, it has a lot of challenges to make that happen because distributed means that more accessible and more compact, but still with a lot of capabilities. And then uh, the business perspective, uh, making this happen also means a new market, not a replacement market, uh, but something which can grow big out of nothing, which is business-wise very interesting. So all these three come together in this statement. Um, and then after we did talk with customers to see, are we on the right track? And I think everybody in Ultimaker is extremely excited to bring this across, to spread this word. It has a, a huge value for our customers. It also uh, saves a lot of material and resources, which is good for our planet. It has a very sound business because of there's a lot of growth and makes a lot of interesting puzzles for us uh, to solve, uh, which we uh, are determined to, to do in a great way. There is a third aspect to the discussion this week that I'd like to introduce now. Another research effort that has also made a difference for Ultimaker in shaping its role in the additive transformation of industry. Let's meet Rohit. So my name is Rohit Jham, and I am leading the research and analytics team in Ultimaker Global Marketing. My objective is to ensure that this company is data-driven. For any strategy or any initiative we take, it has to be backed by data, because data is reality and data is the king. That's my motto. A key project that Rohit has been responsible for is the 3D Printing Sentiment Index, a recent and ongoing data research effort charged with helping Ultimaker quantify market research data to indicate how its customers and marketplaces function. We came up with this initiative summer of 2019. And to understand Sentiment Index, we have to understand what are sentiments. So essentially, sentiments are feelings and opinions about things, entities, technologies. And why we are picking sentiments is because sentiments reflect the future behavior. So sentiment index essentially quantifies the sentiment into a relative number and where you can see where each and every market which are right now using 3D printing as technology are standing in terms of future potential. So that was a very pivotal thing for us to know so we can prioritize and we can also enable these markets that if they are already positive, let's put all our efforts to ensure that they utilize this technology to its fullest. So that's how we came up with this phenomenon of index of sentiments. The first announcement of this project and the public sharing of its data for the benefit of the 3D printing industry happened just recently in the fall of 2019. We will circle back to the full story of the 3D printing sentiment index at the end of this episode. But first, let's return to Marian's discussion of how the concept of distributed manufacturing first came to Ultimaker, picking this up when they began to talk to the customers to find out if they were on the right track. Then we went to customers, a lot of big companies, but also smaller. Where we, we found that they were interested in Ultimaker, approached them and started asking why. I have a background in uh, industrial design engineering. So what makes a good product, what makes it usable, pleasurable, effective to use with the design thinking principle, you can also use on a more strategic level. So doing this together with customers and end users, talk about their needs, translate this into possible solutions, visualize them, feed it back to these user groups, and then reiterate from there. That is uh, how I think my background also links to uh, my current role of analyzing customer needs and bringing this into value propositions. 
And we ask them about their business and their agenda. Not just one example, but many in a row came with the same story. They are already aware that something new is going on. And they already have the same agenda, distributed manufacturing. What they know is that there is a new wave in 3D printing, fueled by the fact that now very compact, accessible and cost and size uh, are now at the level of industrial quality. And that brings a whole new way of looking at 3D printing. A lot of our customers were already, maybe even before us, working on this. They already used to buying industrial equipment, servicing it, distributing and maintaining it globally. 3D printing is not new to them. They do this for 20 years, but then in the basement at uh, one or two of their sites. So they are even far beyond our way of thinking and how would you set up a global distributed concept, but not in terms of manufacturing. That's a new part because manufacturing was still done in quite rigid, large factories. As Marine pointed out in our discussion, Ultimaker has customers with the capability of making this kind of solution work, but this specific approach to using 3D printing is new to them. This attitude is changing rapidly now, while both global enterprises and solution companies that supply them are finding ways to explore distributed manufacturing with 3D printing, overturn this Victorian age reliance on manufacturing massively as the means of making things cost-effective. I can share one example. This is a good case on our website. Schubert is a company that makes manufacturing equipment for a lot of large size companies and automated product lines. I think that explains quite well what a lot of other companies said as well. The whole idea is that 90% of manufacturing one product is the same as manufacturing another product. So for instance, if you assemble a shampoo bottle and uh, half a year later, you assemble uh, just another type of shampoo bottle. The 90% of this whole production line stays exactly the same. So what is touched? Actually, the, the robot grippers, the final parts of a very complex factoring line. The final part is not that uh, complex in the sense that it has all kinds of functionality. It's only the part that's touching the product. It has a high demand on the geometric shape. And that is something which you can easily do with 3D printing. And also there's a lot of variety because if you change from one to another shampoo bottle, you touch not not one or two, but maybe 200 different parts which need to be replaced, but are not too critical. Practice also some of these parts break or fail during use. And it happens occasionally. The time that this production line is not working costs a lot of money because uh, it's a high investment. If you then send replacement or spare parts over the mail, it can take two weeks because they are placed all over the globe. That is uh, really something which costs a lot of money. They have a very strong need on producing as fast as possible on the actual place where they need it. That's actually the, the, the core of distributed manufacturing. You print when you need it. At the place where you need it, you need to develop a system which you can easily ship. Our, our customer's customer is able to print themselves without too much knowledge. It has to be serviceable. It has to be uh, come out right all the time. And that is uh, an accessible distributed system. And they are already doing successful tests here. What you need for this is much more than a printer. So you need service operation. You need the workflow software. You need also the digital library, which has proven parts already shareable that the digital parts proven that to always come out right and it can be safely and securely shared all over the globe 
that is one example which illustrates the need for accessibility, the need for low-cost compact modules, but also the need for a software system to uh, make sure that centrally you can have grip on the quality of all these parts printed out by their customers. And that illustrates, I think, what many other companies also say. They have this vision. It's not per se about very critical parts. It's not per se about who has the biggest machine. Well, per se not, I would say. It's about uh, who can make sure that you have no worries when you scale up globally. So what is unique to Ultimaker is that we focus not on one aspect, the printer which can do everything you imagine. We focus on a system which takes every aspect in a big enterprise that needs to be tackled for them to successfully adopt 3D printing. And if you really engage and talk to these customers and look for the question behind the question, then you find out that they need a software ecosystem to help them not to worry about people printing it everywhere throughout their company. You will learn that they will need knowledge to educate people. You will learn that they will need to be able to use a material they qualify and that not that we invent. You will learn that they need compact industrial modules uh, that can easily be placed on small spaces. So all these elements, we don't see too much competition doing that. I asked Marijn if he was excited to spread the word of this possibility. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Because it's a no-brainer. It is better for the environment and better for uh, the, our our customers also uh, it gives us a lot of exciting work to do at Ultimaker. The fact that the complexity is not in just the machine, but in the end-to-end -end experience. So having the software, hardware, materials and services all connect so we have, can have a very lightweight, accessible system. We know all the company does in the way we do that. And also we are very well equipped for this by having this all from the startup of our company. We have all these disciplines on board. And that is a different game than maybe other uh, 3D manufacturers play that go more for application range only or for uh, making the, the biggest machine. This is uh, something uh, which is uh, more about solving the actual problem uh, and seeing opportunities in the market today. These efforts on the part of the portfolio team were completed for the purpose of supporting product management as Paul and his team pursued fully defining and executing the development of new products across Ultimaker's product areas, hardware, software, materials, and service. Let's circle back to Paul and the story of creating the Ultimaker S5 as a point of departure to explore how product management reflects on the role of our technologies in the transformation of industry. I asked him about his reaction to some of the portfolio research and his team's conversations with customers who were already using the Ultimaker 3s for experiments with distributed manufacturing. Once I understood that, I also understood that our strength is in light, affordable machines. The investment you need to make in huge machines simply doesn't weigh to the opportunity that we have with the light accessible machines. It's almost, I know this is a cliche, but we could walk into the red ocean of all these machines that there already is, or we go into the blue ocean of distributed manufacturing. 
So while some of the really exciting discoveries and, and trajectories there push on into the, the future roadmap, yeah. uh, but you have the S5 that, that you helped shape and, and deliver that was heading this direction. How were you able to explore these ideas in the S5? So there were some fundamental things that we, that we still had to solve compared to the Ultimaker 3. Things like the, the rather clumsy material handling. And to that end, we have the material station. Uh, but probably uh, the, the most important gain that we made is that the Ultimaker 3 was literally an open machine. The air could flow through it in, in every way. And the S5 with the air manager really creates a pretty stable environment. So suddenly one of the biggest uh, issues that uh, prints fail was solved with a relatively, again, accessible solution. It's a top cover and a door. It's not a huge machine with uh, a lot of isolation and, uh, and so on. So it's still affordable. There's still the promise of distributed manufacturing. Now, what we see at the very same time is that the S5 today offers quite a range of applications. And what we see today is that customers are not urgently asking for machines that can extend the application range towards more difficult materials or towards more certified prints and print jobs. What they're really looking for now is the ROI that you can achieve with some part being locally manufactured. Let's say it gives you a saving of thousand. Then if you were to use that very same part in many locations, for instance, within your company, then suddenly you start multiplying and suddenly you create uh, a real value for 3D printing, which wasn't so visible when you were just making one part locally. What it really means is using the strength of Ultimaker, the ability to create things where you need them at the moment that you need them. So it's literally having a part available on demand, exactly at the place where you need this. That might be on a ship, that might be next to a machine where a part breaks, that might be in a garage where people need uh, perhaps spare parts or a little tool to repair an engine, whatever it might be. It's the ability to quickly build things where you need them at the moment that you need them. And of course, the big impact of that sits in the end in the, in the supply chain. So again, this is the very early distribution. It's all about the ability to start with one Ultimaker, make parts. Imagine you're working in a, a, a beer factory and you make some tools and these tools help you uh, save a lot of money. What would be better than not looking towards new parts with all sorts of enormous capabilities, but instead making sure that this tool is spread around the world, spread around all the factories that you have where you uh, produce beer and make sure that the ROI is multiplied by the number of locations. And then again, the value of Ultimaker is there. It's an affordable machine. It's accessible, easy to use. And it's even easier to use if you already have uh, the print job available, if you have the part available and just download it, start using it. And somebody responsible for optimizing, for instance, cost at an, in, in a factory can use this almost with an ROI of days, if not hours. On the one hand, an enormous, I think, the most radical use of 3D printing, because it's not just making things locally. 
You can do that with uh, our machines, but also with a heavy SLS machine. Uh, but it's also using the ability to make light, accessible machines that, you, that can travel with you, that you can bring to any place in the world, basically. I mean, many defense forces, for instance, use this. Uh, and the reason is that you, you can bring it uh, to a place where you actually need it, be it somewhere in Siberia or be it in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, be it next to a packaging machine, it doesn't matter. So the ability to see it, the ability to make it, and then the ability to not just apply it within one location, but also create an ability that people that are not trained can still download that part and use it where they need it, not by taking all the time learning how to identify opportunities and how to print. My discussion with Paul next shifted to one of the questions that comes up from some companies when they're looking to adopt additive for the first time. The question of whether they should choose a route that makes polymer parts, like ours does, versus investing at the ground level in one of the much more costly metal additive systems. I think today 80% of all the 3D printed objects is polymer plastic. And that is actually increasing that percentage. And at the same time, people, let's say in that red ocean of huge machines, not feasible for distributed manufacturing, they talk about metal. But again, it's a difficult concept. There's a lot to it. Printing a metal part not only requires a desktop printer, it also requires sintering. It, it requires two furnaces in order to be successful. Uh, it's not something that you would easily uh, deploy in a distributed uh, fashion. So there's still value in it, but let's say the outlook of the real business case is simply not there. And then there is another thing. We have about 80 uh, material suppliers. The most sophisticated materials suppliers in the world participate in our alliance. And what we see today is that they're not only making true on their promise that a lot of plastics actually can replace metals, because we, we saw that coming for a long time. But what's far more important, for us at least, is that you can use them for 3D printing on a relatively low temperature. So the whole production of metal that in the end requires not only a lot of tools, but also a lot of energy, a lot of, <laughs> in the end, CO2. That's not the case if you simply make uh, plastic parts. If at the very same time you take into consideration that you make these plastic parts in order to produce less of them, it becomes even a stronger argument. I mean, I think it's literally true that if you make a part and you only produce it where you need it and when you need it, there are literally thousands of parts that have not been produced as a result. So a question comes up. Intentional parts, as opposed to warehousing, lots of options of parts, already is a huge ecological protection. Why is this model of distributed manufacturing in the future really going to, to be a net positive for our planet? I think overwhelming argument for distributed manufacturing in not only making the immediate cost saving on the supply chain. There's also the argument, we touched on it, that the number of parts that you can make available or the, the let's say the, the, the customizations and the refinement is endless. It doesn't matter that you create a million parts. It really doesn't matter because it's IT. And the ability to choose exactly the right thing and make it only when you need it and where you need it 
is, I think, such an overwhelming scenario that, that people will simply choose to do that. We already made a huge step there. Only three years ago, if let, let's say you, you want to build something, you want to print something, and you need a very specific material, then it would already take you a month to be able to print in the first place something with that material. Today, we completely took away that experimenting time with the print profiles that you can download if you want to use a specific material. Today, there are more than 100 materials in the market, but we know that we will arrive at 400 different materials. And there's a good reason for every one of them. And there used to be a period where people only went to PLA for the simple reason that printing anything else was difficult. That's no longer the case. This is Matt Griffin, host of Talking Additive, Ultimaker's new 3D printing podcast. You might be wondering, why are we launching a podcast? And why are we launching this series right now? Ultimaker's 3D printing podcast was inspired by our company's mission to accelerate the world's transition to local manufacturing and digital distribution. How will 3D printing affect the future of manufacturing, engineering, and design? Through interviews with top innovators, partners, and allies, this series offers a chance to learn from those who have experienced firsthand the impact of additive manufacturing. Their key insights shape how we design our products and enhance our commitment to helping customers explore new and better ways to achieve their goals. Through these conversations, we hope to offer fresh insight into these new paradigms for the benefit of our listeners, our team, and our collaborators. And why now? You might have noticed that live events, trade shows, and seminars are not currently viable resources for leaders who are interested in adopting or extending 3D printing capacity. We hope that Talking Additive will provide an interactive avenue for our audiences to critically engage in conversations around the impact of adopting additive manufacturing. Let's keep this conversation going, just like the 3D printing labs all across the world that have remained open and fully operational during these complicated times. Enjoy our show? Join the conversation about additive manufacturing at TalkingAdditive.com. Subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. And we'd appreciate it if you would post a review wherever you prefer listening. Earlier in this show, we introduced Rohit Jam and his project to produce a 3D printing sentiment index, a first industry-wide resource of its kind for 3D printing. For the last portion of our show, let's explore this project more closely. Ultimaker as a company has a clientele in all types of industries and we have experience with successful case studies across the market. Before we started this initiative, we saw that there are a lot of reports going around uh, on, on public forum, but they somehow missed the idea in one way or the other. For example, again, I'll not name the reports, but what we really saw that education was not given due importance in any of these printing growth reports. So we decided, okay, we have to come up with something that as thought leaders, we know education plays a big role in 3D printing adoption. So that was one of the reasons that Ultimega being one of the successful players in education verticals should pick up this and having a lot of success in other verticals. Why does Ultimaker feel it should play this role to, to really bring up the whole field? I think we have the experience. We are in this industry for 10 years and we have seen the ups and downs. As Ultimaker, we have seen that this technology has passed the hype uh, as per Gartner hype cycle. 3D printing has now moved to a sustainable growth path, which is called plateau of productivity, if I use their nomenclature. So now is the time that the technology is taking off in a sustainable way. It's not a hype anymore. It's actually a proven success. And we want to ensure that this is the right time. 
we come up with insights to the industry to all the stakeholders to material partners to software partners that guys this is something which is taking off so fasten your seat belts and as one of the leading players we are there to help all our customers we are there to ensure that they get all the support possible and at the same time if there is any barrier we come up with solution to overcome that so that's the reason i believe ultimaker is the right uh, candidate to come up with such such thought piece so i have been doing market research and analytics for a lot of clients as well as myself for 12 13 years and one thing that i was really missing was technology and that's how when i came across ultimaker looking for a person to establish this function i jumped on it when i joined ultimaker the first thing i wanted to do was to test the product it was very new to me and when i used it myself it was so easy that i thought my god if a person like me can do this anyone can do this i went through some case studies that ultimaker had how they have benefited their client um that was it for me as rohit mentioned before once he joined ultimaker he and the ultimaker team struck upon the idea of a sentiment index as a way to efficiently help ultimaker remove barriers to customers and track progress spreading the opportunities to the wide ranging verticals in which ultimaker serves i asked him how he managed to persuade ultimaker that his solution was indeed the best one to address the internal need that seems uh, pretty unusual to me uh, though my background is is not market analytics did take a couple of stages to introduce the idea that quantifiable sentiment is a really valuable resource to explore yeah we we did do a lot of study beforehand to see which other industries are using this phenomena for example telecommunication uh, blockchain any new technology you speak about they have started to tap on sentiments and uh, there are multiple uh, examples where it is ex- accepted industry wide as a, as the number to follow so we thought this is something which is tried and tested and also when we uh, went in this uh, initiative we tried to make it very anonymous we spoke to a agency which had experience in building these indexes and quantifying sentiments and the case studies they showed us of course i cannot speak about them they are confidential were really really convincing so we thought we have an idea and we have a tested case so why not go with it we realized that sentiments is nothing but a outcome of various factors happening around you so it can be availability it can be ease of use it can be uh, knowledge we combined around 20 factors together into six buckets and then we weighted those factors bases our experience or the agency's experience with other technologies to come up with a number a sentiment which is derived from a lot of factors happening around a potential or existing 3d printing user so that's how we quantified it we took inspiration from certain technologies which were closer to our awareness levels so that's how we came up with this uh, quantification and uh, would you be willing to share some of the the 20 factors it's it's kind of illuminate yeah. yeah sure for example awareness became one of the biggest factors so even if uh, a person or a respondent was very very positive about a technology until that market has awareness at, at as a whole plus the the uh, maturity of distribution of the technology it will not fly i'll give you example india was one of the markets and, and i am indian so i i covered it and i can i could see that the ones who are using it are really really positive about the technology however the awareness levels were very low and hence to make it mainstream it's still time versus markets like germany or usa where the awareness levels were very high and the users were very positive so they got a higher score versus a country which has only positive sentiments without awareness 
So awareness became one of the big factors that we used. The other factor was technology index, which we used from a publicly pub- published uh, technology index from INSEED, which actually gives a number to each country, the maturity the country has on technology adoptions, any technology. So they come up with this number that we can utilize. Then there was a lot of questions in the survey. For example, their future investment plans. For example, the future knowledge plans about 3D printing. So these were some of the factors and I can go on. This is a big list. But we wanted to make sure that we are covering all those factors who eventually can lead to a future positive behavior or a negative behavior. So we combine all those factors together. So you, you identified these factors and we're able to find uh, ways to get a, a portrait of these various regions. What do you hope to to do with these factors? It seems like there's a couple of directions you can go as far as identifying the most uh, likely candidates to receive what we're already doing, following new strategies. What right now are you doing with the data to really understand how to make it useful? So there, there are many facets of this data. So one of the things that we captured was if somebody is using 3D printing, are they happy or are there some unmet needs? And we could identify clear unmet needs that are, are a big barrier for any company to achieve a maturity in 3D printing technology. Because for me, what I have realized in my last one year with Ultimaker, that 3D printing is right now like a smartphone, which you're using just for dialing a number. I totally believe that there's much more to this technology than just doing a couple of applications. So this was one of our uh, biggest findings that in total, we found 35% of our companies are using 3D printing technology. There's still 65% of this market that is untapped. So that was the biggest finding. We never thought of it. And then out of those 35%, only 7% were the ones who are actually using it to the way it should be used at certain level. So imagine a technology which is ready for mainstream adoption is only with 7% of the businesses. And that too pocketed in some big countries, some developed markets, whereas there's a huge potential on the other side of the world as well. So knowing these things made us realize that, okay, we have to uh, ensure that the barriers are taken off. How can Ultimaker, as one of the thought leaders in this industry, ensure that customers are not facing that barrier? Uh, we have a couple of things identified. We are actually working on it. For example, knowledge was one of the biggest gap that that the respondents mentioned is the reason they are not adopting the 3D printing fully. And we have multiple initiatives around it. Again, it's still to come to the market, so I don't want to go in details, but there are multiple initiatives around it. And then we also ask them that if they are even happy, what they will want to see as improvement. And a couple of things that came across were really mind-boggling because we never thought that will be the improvements needed. But they were, and now we are working on one product which will actually improve that process of 3D printing, which was given as a feedback. So we want to ensure as thought leaders that we pass on this knowledge. And that's the reason we also made this data public uh, on our website and we presented it in various events. We could have kept it (laughs) for the competitive advantage, but we feel that it's better that we take this industry to the growth path together. That's the reason we, we are covering markets where we are not there yet plus markets where we are, plus markets where we are, we are weak. So we covered about 12 markets in the studies. It was a good mix. And that's how we represented the global number because we had a good mix of developed, developing, Eastern, Western, uh, all kinds of markets. Uh, I want to circle back to something you just, you just said in, in, the, in the previous question. You talked about adoption of 3D printing being like a smartphone and the customers are just dialing 
displacing calls. Uh, tell me more about that. A couple of items that are untapped potential that you know our customers who are more fully adopting are seeing and the customers who are first exposed to 3D printing might not see. So certain companies are happy just using 3D printing for prototyping, which is, let's say, tip of the iceberg. One of the biggest applications, of course, but because that itself brings a lot of ROI to the company, they are not motivated to think beyond prototyping. And what we saw that 95% almost are using 3D printing for prototyping and only 40% around are using it for manufacturing aids and end use parts. Where we have successful cases, where we have shown uh, to multiple clients, uh, again, I'm not sure I'm allowed to take the names, but we have showed the return on investment to multiple clients when they have used this technology for, for manufacturing purpose or even end use parts, which we see really coming up. So the majority of the uh, users who are using 3D printing are right now prototyping, which is very important. As I said, dialing is very important for a smartphone, but there's so much more to it, which can give multi-folds of return on investment, saving time. For me, the most important aspect is how we can ensure that the customers are aware of certain advanced applications of 3D printing with success cases that we have shown and then ensure that we show them with our support that we can do it for you as well. And we have done that for a couple of big uh, consumer goods giants and also uh, a lot of defense and aerospace industry. We have shown that. But I think, as I said, only 7% are actually using it to the way it should be used. So it's still 93%. So a long way to go for us, a long growth path for us. So I'm very happy to see that. L'Oreal, the beauty was that they have come up with use cases which even we didn't think of. Imagine that there is that much of engagement that the the development folks there are thinking about what else we can do. They were really, really good to us by sharing all this knowledge. Heineken, of course, I'll encourage all of your listeners uh, to go to YouTube and search for Heineken. And through my role, I want to ensure that the people are aware about these things happening. Could you tell a little bit about the story of renewing and also the process of looking at the, the data and the research and continuing analysis to discover new things? I think any index should be tracked continuously. So we know the progress as well. So we know the status quo now, but we want to ensure that this positivity is sustained. And for that, we need to track. One is to ensure that we we track the positivity because the question, is it positive or negative, is no more there. We clearly see that it's all positive. We just want to see how positive, which market. So that will be the first objective. Second is we want to, of course, plug the gaps which we had in the first run, as I said, materials and some markets which we didn't capture in the first run. And the beauty of the index is that the data will be still be comparable because it's an index. So finally, you can see a relative position of each country versus the other. The barriers are almost like a global voice. The barriers that we see are globally very similar. So it makes uh, us for us a very efficient job that we come up with a solution and we want to track that has that solution really helped plug that barrier. And so other uh, details uh, from uh, the current batch of data that's out there. One was that that a little over a third are really expecting to see 3D printing making a, a big impact for the business within the next 12 months. 40%. So 40% of the businesses feel that they will see a significant operational impact of 3D printing in short term. That is 12 months. Again, sentiments. That's what they believe. Something which is positive will drive the real behavior. So if that is the belief they have, and if the belief is that 
within two years, 25% of all the businesses will be fully embedding 3D printing. That clearly shows that the trust has been gained. The only thing that we have to work on are the small barriers. We hope that you enjoyed our third episode for the Talking Additive podcast, featuring Paul Hyden, the Senior Vice President of Product Management, Marine Nieleman, our Portfolio Development Manager, and Rohit Jam, Director of Global Research and Analytics. I know that I picked up useful insights from each of their unique perspectives into additive manufacturing and how it benefits businesses around the world. We have more episodes to come in the first season of Talking Additive. Join us here again every other Tuesday to grab the latest episode. Enjoy our show? Join the conversation about additive manufacturing today at TalkingAdditive.com. Subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode, and we'd appreciate it if you would post a review wherever you prefer listening. Remember also that you can discover a wealth of information on Ultimaker's website, including free-to-download white papers, case studies, advice, and more. To start exploring, visit www.ultimaker.com. Thanks again to Paul, Marine, and Rohit, and the rest of the Ultimaker team for joining us. Thanks also to series producer Hanna Takini, studio manager David Roberson, executive producer Nuno Campos, and a thank you to Brian Scary and Giulio Carmasi of Hummingbirds Custom Music and Sound for the show theme and episode sound mix. I am host and producer Matt Griffin, and thank you again to our listeners. On Talking Additive, we hold conversations with colleagues and customers about 3D printing's impact on business.